1: Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Nice job. Tom. Good morning, Susan. How
2: are you, Tom?
1: I'm doing good today. Good. This yeah. is
2: Susan Simmons, one of your hosts. Who are you today?
1: Uh just the regular old Tom, I guess. Oh,
2: we aren't even back. There. You're just gonna use your last name once.
1: <laughs> uh no, once twice. in a while, that's fine. Yeah, you got a hit list
2: out on you or something? Got people Not
1: looking
2: that I know of.
1: You? Not that I know of.
2: IRS. If you're looking for Tom, I have his
1: address. <laughs> Oh, I don't like those people either.
2: IRS, I hate you
1: people. I hate you people.
2: You are the only government agency that scares me. The rest of them, whatever. Yeah,
1: you. You just gotta. Lay down and shit, give them your belly to pet, right? <laughs> Take what you will. Leave right, me something
2: because they're going to do it
3: anyway, probably.
2: <laughs> Wayne's over here thinking, damn,
3: I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> She's pissing off the IRS the first thing yes, this right, morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> well, until, until I go off the grid, I yes, think I need to keep it quiet. Well, <laughs> let
2: me know when you get off the grid. I'm coming
3: <laughs>
2: with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a... Um, a interesting person today in that he's one of the very first people I met before I even moved out here.
1: You met him before you moved out? Yes,
2: he was actually in a training I did and I think that was the end of March 2012 at the Desert Dog Canine Trials and I think he was in as big a shock as some of the others with some of the (laughs) things I
3: said. It it was was amazing conversation (laughs) we had, yes. (laughs) And
2: and then I rooked him into actually helping us unload when I moved out here just a few months later. I tracked him down and said, I need your help.
1: I'm moving in. I'm
2: moving. I'm moving to Avondale. And so he showed up and helped Marshall and I unload and wow. get set up in that house. You did manage to get out of helping me move to the East Valley though, didn't you?
3: I did. I, I changed my phone number. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you sound like my child. Now. He was going to change his address, his phone number, everything Seriously. else <laughs> after that long venture from Alabama all the way over here. But we have Dr. Wayne Svoboda, whom I happen to feel is probably one of the preeminent uh, veterinarians.
1: I've heard you talk about him a lot and I've heard, other canine and officers. And he's, That's true. And, and Becky, Becky yes. and,
2: and Jake's also because I I gave him a real test when I first moved out here because I had Maverick.
1: Oh yeah, I've heard those stories.
2: Maverick was the Chow Shepherd Sharpei <laughs> Akita mix who was abused.
1: What and a combination!
3: He, he was legendary. <laughs> he, was, he
2: really was in the canine world, even. and no vet had ever really put hands on him other than. I'd walk him, our vet was down the street from where we lived, and I'd literally walk him into the waiting room, I'd put a muzzle on him, and I'd hold his mouth, and they would sneak up behind, give him his vaccinations, and run. (laughs) And Wayne goes, bring that dog to me, and I'm going... Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I did, and they had a real love-hate relationship.
3: He really wasn't that bad, honestly.
2: He would spit and (laughs) spin like a shark. Yeah. And Wayne's going, I love you too, (laughs) man. Of course, you never had him without the medical muscle either. (laughs) No, no,
3: but he still was manageable. He was. really was.
2: But he, Yeah, but he had all kind of issues and things you found that other vets wouldn't touch him to find out. No wonder he was mean.
1: Exactly. He was in pain and grouchy. Absolutely,
2: yeah. he was—he was a grump as, as Tony Fernandez at Avondale would call him. He was a grumpy asshole man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes,
2: yeah, Tony wouldn't come near him without having everything on. <laughs> it was a hilarious. full
1: bite suit. Pretty huh? <laughs> <He> much. <might. laughs>
2: yeah, he would just snarl at him. But anyway, welcome to the show. We're honored to Thank have you to for here the today. Invite. Absolutely. Sure. So tell us a little bit about you, because I, I, I'm afraid you're going to tell me you're on your way out.
3: No, no. Uh, you know, that's a hard thing for veterinarians because um, we kind of love what we do. Mm-hmm. So we just keep plugging away.
2: Well, see, and I got another dog. Yeah. So you got to stick around <laughs> now. She's not, but what, what was, she'll be 16 weeks this week, this Wednesday, and you get to see her Friday. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah, you know, to be frank with people, it's really the police stuff that really keeps me going, mm-hmm. honestly. You know, it's sometimes the civilian part of it can be a little challenging. No, none of us yes. are weird no. about
2: our animals. No. What are you
3: talking about? You know, sometimes the animals the only thing that keeps people sane. You know, or at least <laughs> I, that's their I connection that. or grounding. There, right. Basically. Well,
2: and that's my case right now. Losing Heidi was really tough.
3: That was a
1: tough
2: one. Oh,
3: that was and
1: timing was uh, just the from worst. Every
2: yeah. direction in right. the short term, but again, nobody else found what was going on, but Wayne did, and
3: yeah. and that was a tough one to deliver the news Ooh, to you. Yeah. That was
2: hard. So, I was really glad Becky was there, and but I was glad it it didn't drag on and on mm-hmm, and on. It yeah. was driving me crazy to watch her, not. Yeah seemed like she couldn't breathe and choke and that, that stuff. And, and
3: sometimes I tell people that's the gift that the dog gives back to you is that yes. you were able to look at those x-rays and go, yeah, he's, he's not pulling my leg. Yep. Uh, this is bad. Oh yeah. Here we you, go. you didn't have
2: to have a medical degree to figure yeah. that out with her. So it's just a shame. And I don't know that anything could have been done earlier if we'd caught it earlier.
3: No, no, it's a poor prognosis all, all the way around. Yeah. So, you know, you made the right decision, a kind decision in those kind of situations. Right.
2: But boy, holidays and everything else, that just really sucked. I'm, I'm definitely being tested here <laughs> in how I handle things. And I'm about met my match, I think. But now I have this, well, she's interesting, very large German shepherd puppy that is probably smarter than me.
3: <laughs> yeah, she's making you believe that. <laughs> she's
2: sassier than I am if that's possible oh wow <laughs> and she's got the biggest feet I can't wait to see what she weighs this time
3: cause well, the she's... great thing is you're recognizing that she needs to start the training process yes I, as I tell people is that when you get these these high drive dogs They're looking for leadership. And if you don't provide them with a leadership, guess what? You're not going to be happy with the leadership that they're providing you. Oh,
2: you're kidding. So she's not going to be my, I don't need her to be my adult supervision. I kind of thought that's what you wanted her to do.
3: She's going to need, you're going to need to guide her through what she needs to do to make you happy as well as she'll be happy doing that. Well,
2: and Heidi had had that prior to me getting her, and that made her a really nice, fairly easy dog to have. And... It's been a long time since I've had a puppy. I'm not sure this was the best decision I've ever made. But most of the time it is. Most of the time she's actually, she's actually pretty good, but when she gets wound up and she hasn't figured out how big she is, so she's continuously falling off the couch and getting mad about it.
3: <laughs>
2: and then she wants to get back up on the couch and jump up and down and bounce on me and jump on me, and I'm like, hey, it's on you, dog.
3: Yeah, yeah you've got about two years of uh, fun ahead of you.
2: Well, maybe she'll stay at the trainer for two years. <laughs> I'll get her. Or she can come live with you.
3: Uh, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to work out very well with all the number of dogs we have in the, well, on that's the homestead. True. So. That's true.
2: Anyway, tell us how you got into all of this.
3: As, as far as veterinarian or All as of far as, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a veterinarian even when I was growing up. I Do you have a lot of animals? A lot of them. I mean, some of my favorite pets were actually, my favorite pet was a raccoon.
2: Really? So <laughs> we, had,
3: we had two of them. So uh, they were they were great pets. They'd actually go on their paper route with me. Uh, so, <laughs> like um, run
2: alongside?
3: Yep, yeah, just walk along. On, not on a leash or anything like that. They would just walk along. And uh, <laughs> I remember this uh, one lady, her name was Charlotte, and uh, she gave me a quarter tip to go all the way up her stairs and leave the newspaper. And so I, I did that, a quarter chip once a month. And so I went up there, and the next thing you know, Bandit goes up there, and she opens up her door to reach for the paper, and there's Bandit just looking at her. <laughs> going. So,
2: and how long do raccoons live?
3: Well, the, the bad thing about raccoons is that they become sexually mature after about a year. And so after about a year we had to rehabilitate them back to the wild. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
3: But uh, you know if I would have been able to spay or neuter them then they probably would have stayed a lot longer but as soon as they go into heat mm-hmm. or or kind of like a an elephant going into rut or something right. like that they they got pretty vicious and it was overnight. It was it wow. was like kissing you on the face one day and the <laughs> and next ripping day it off. <laughs> they are hitting the wire, they are spitting at you. And it's like, okay, time to let you go.
2: And you can spay or neuter or it's not good for him? Oh, well,
3: you can. Oh, okay. No, you can. But at that time, you know, right. there, there's no way I, anybody would have done something like that.
2: Sure. Yeah, I have a good friend who, um, yeah, Paul's an interesting character, special forces kind of guy, and uh, he had a pet raccoon named Axel that yeah. he moved from South Florida up to the mountains of North Carolina, and he literally rented a flatbed 18-wheeler to haul his... <laughs>
0: abode
2: uh-huh. and uh loved that raccoon and that that thing lived a long time yeah um I, yeah i don't remember how old he was but he was old when he passed
3: well we we really rehabilitated them back to the wild and the fun thing about this was that uh, my my dad he was a mailman and one of his buddies he actually lived right next to where my mom's final farm turned out to be so <laughs> uh, we ended up letting the the raccoon kind of lived there and uh, during Christmas and things like that, he'd come in and he would play with everybody in the Christmas tree and, and then he'd go back out in the wild and he eventually, those visits became shorter and shorter and then he disappeared. And uh, to this day, you know, when we go out to my mom's farm, it's kind of like, I wonder if we got some descendants uh, <laughs> abandoned hey, running around. Well, yeah.
2: as, as sexually active as he wanted to be,
0: you
3: probably <laughs> yeah. do,
2: um, but he didn't follow you on the paper route anymore.
3: No, no. <laughs> But it, it was a fun, uh, you know. These little guys, they would they would flip themselves upside down underneath the bed, and you know how you on the bed box springs you have that really fine right, netting? Yeah. and they would run underneath that, <laughs> and so you, you would hang your feet over one end and your hands over the other, and they run from back, from back and forth. <laughs> Never had to sweep underneath the bed. We always hear about
2: rabies. Is that not a problem for raccoons, or is it is? Looks like any it animal?
3: is, and that's that's pretty much why it, most people don't like to. To have them or it's, you have to have a specific license in order to to hmm. have those kind of pets.
2: I got a parrot I'll give you.
3: <laughs> How are you feeling about
2: birds these days? Uh, I haven't seen the birds at the at the vet clinic.
3: You know we've just grown so fast and there's just no safe place to put them. The, the trouble that we have is that sometimes uh, you get people to say you know I, I have this really nice connection with animals and they reach up there and you have a bird that's going to open you up like a can opener. Mm -hmm. Or take a finger off. Yeah. So before we remodeled, we had that really nice long distance that people could wave at the bird and the bird would wave back. Yep. But now we don't have that luxury. So for safety reasons, we kind of had to leave her out of the hospital.
2: So she's at home now? Yeah. Yeah, this bird loved to wave.
3: (laughs) It was hilarious.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody, multiple times.
3: That's funny.
2: (laughs) It was a, a macaw.
3: Yeah. Yeah, blue and gold.
2: Yeah, Yeah. beautiful bird. Uh, How old is that one?
3: She's about 40, or no, excuse me, about 28, actually, now
2: Almost the same age as Siggy, and now macaws live as long as Amazons? Yeah, they can
3: live up to 40, 45 or more.
2: Because I'm here in 80.
3: Yeah, well... (laughs) The, the meaner they are, the oh. longer they Well, Siggy's going to be around for a while then.
1: Yeah,
2: Marshall's <laughs> grandchildren are going to have to raise that bird. I keep telling him he's going to outlive him. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, so you always wanted to be a vet.
3: Yep. And, and where did you go to school? Uh, Kansas State University. Was that home? Uh, no, I'm actually from Nebraska, but Nebraska oh. did not have a vet school. So we had the reciprocal program where you could go down there and, and pay in-state tuition. Hmm, so. That's good.
2: And then how yeah. did you wind up here in Arizona?
3: Uh, basically, we had uh, relatives in this particular area. And so I actually went to Las Vegas initially. Mm-hmm. And then um, it, it's just the trouble with the 24-hour town is it's 24 hours. <laughs> so, Tell me about yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah,
2: I, yeah, but you wound up working with a population that's 24 hours exactly. anyway.
3: Exactly, yeah. so. Yeah, it, it was a little different atmosphere up there too. Yes. So down here, um, I, I got hooked up with uh, Mesa Veterinary Hospital,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and that's actually where I got my introduction with police canines because at the time, uh, Scottsdale and Mesa were deciding that you know we're going to go ahead and add canine in here, and so uh, they were looking for a hospital that was open 24 hours. And this is back in the day. Uh, Doctor Ken Jeffrey was kind of a revolutionary guy you said you know what we're going to have a 24-hour emergency facility and internal medicine and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff cardiology so um, they decided to bring those dogs there because they needed a place if the dogs were to get injured
2: and now were those the first canine programs here in the valley I
3: I that's a hard question to answer because I think it was at the early stages of, of you know whether there was other ones but there were certainly there were certainly not on a the lot cutting edge that, of it I'd like to say that yes, they were, but uh, at the same token, I'm going to say that there may have been a couple other ones. Phoenix out there. may
2: have had them, or do you know yeah. when they started theirs?
3: No idea. Oh, uh, Dr. Uh, Holcomb uh, was their veterinarian, so there was actually uh, actually there were other veterinarians. Now that I think about it, uh, um, Dr. Ray Rice, uh, he was doing police canine medicine, uh, starting to do some of the things, and that's that's where I learned a few items uh, mm-hmm. on how to help these guys out and
2: was that something you had always wanted to get into was canine or you just kind of fell into fell it fell into it yeah that's a that's you know you got to be gutsy to work with some of those dogs <laughs> I, yeah. I, I talk about good old Gabe over in Glendale who I absolutely love and adore but he seems to get I don't know if he makes a mean
3: his his new one is actually very nice. Oh, it is. Yeah.
2: Finally, one yeah. I can actually but The one
3: we just retired it was not a happy camper. Was that <laughs> and, and chaos? The one, and the one prior to, yeah. Chaos. Yeah. Uh, I
2: have told Was some, it a
3: fitting
1: name? Oh
2: my gosh. <laughs> the night I moved out here and landed Marshall did a ride along, my son did a ride along with Gabe. We had the first dust storm came along. He was in that car. And that dog, Marshall said, and it was a night shift, never (laughs) shut up. And my son loves dogs. And I always thought he wanted to be a canine. I think that cured him of it, to be honest with you. But he has shepherds. But he got out of that car the next morning when I went to pick him up, and you could just see it in his eyes. (laughs) He was like, Mom, he never stopped barking the whole time in that car. I thought, how did Gabe handle that for all those years?
3: okay gabe is pretty uh level-headed about everything so he he tolerates a lot he's
2: amazing he really is but i'm glad to hear he's got one that maybe i can actually be a friend to
3: Uh, yeah yeah. oh nice much more social and that's what we're seeing actually happening now is i mean back back in the late 80s when i first got started on this it seemed like all these officers had to have um basically the philosophy was the meaner the dog Right. the better it was going to be in police work. And you still see civilians coming up and saying, yeah, my dog, he just chewed up half the neighborhood. I think he'd make a nice police dog. <laughs> and, and the answer is mm. no, he wouldn't. Yeah. Wait a
2: it chewed up people in the neighborhood <laughs> or chewed
0: up things in the
3: neighborhood? <laughs> You'll hear that all the time. Is just how aggressive their dog is. And I think he'd make a nice police dog. And the trouble is, is that from risk management's point yeah. of view, right. that's not a good dog. Exactly. No. And so when we first saw these dogs being... Um, purchased and trained and everything else. Uh, yeah, they were looking for the meanest, hardest dog they could. And officers were getting chewed up right and left. And, and of course they didn't know the techniques. The techniques have improved tremendously right. over the years. I sure. mean, even, even the philosophy of using, uh, you know, what they classify as Edison medicine or shock collars and things like that, that's all changed uh, to the good. I, yeah. mean, right. I, I remember the day when you know, if one collar didn't work, you put two on. <laughs> and if two didn't work, you put one back on the, the groin area. If that doesn't work, you get a cattle prod. And these dogs got meaner and meaner and unable to control. Right. And then now we see people like George coming on in, involved with uh, using positive reinforcement. And these dogs are like, Wow, wonderful dog.
2: Explain that to me, how do you use positive reinforcement with a dog that can rip your face
3: off. Well, you know, just understand that, like, for example, if I'm pinching you uh-huh. to get you to move, and you're not moving, I'm going to pinch you harder, you're just going to dig in, and sure. you're not going to move. Whereas if I just kind of come up and lightly touch you and say, please move, thank you, then, then that's kind of the philosophy with the dog. And so you'll often see, and it was funny when I first saw this happening. It was out at the Goodyear Canine Competition. uh, You'd hear these um, MCSO guys uh, saying, you know, their dog would do something and go yes. And it's like, oh, that sounds stupid. (laughs) And then you stand back, and suddenly these dogs were doing everything. And so what they found out is that, you know, some dogs yes, they will respond to a little correction, Uh uh, but they actually found out that you really need to reward the positive and try to stay away from that negative
2: well and you know and that's true for human beings that's one of the things about it's been my biggest complaint about some of the police departments around here you know be nice to your people they'll be happy they'll make you look good this this the beatings will continue ain't gonna gonna help morale (laughs) but now you're telling me i gotta be polite to mac i gotta say thank you and please and would you and i thank you very much i appreciate you not (laughs) ripping my arm off
3: Yeah. So you you want to correct the positive behavior at all times, or not correct? I mean, you want to reward that positive behavior and enforce that, and then sometimes you almost um, you don't want to make a big deal out of the negative behavior.
1: I've, right, I've been try. trying to do that with my dog, my German Shepherd, when she takes a shoe outside, and I walk outside and I find it shredded.
2: Well, yours eats couches too. Now well, mine yeah, had done that. It
1: did that too, <laughs> and. I don't say anything to her. I just pick up the mess. If I look at her, she, you know, turns her head and runs and just goes away. I don't say anything to her.
3: Yeah, the big thing right there is that, uh, like, for example, you'll see people where they'll come home and the dog has a big mess in the middle of the house. Sure. And so what do they do? They like, so if it had a bowel movement or something like that.
2: They've been trained
3: in their mind to Mm -hmm. think, I need to rub its nose in
2: there. And that drives me crazy. I can't do that.
3: And and, and it's a bad philosophy because from the dog's point of view is you come home and there's this scent in the room, which they don't realize I just made that doo-doo right there. (laughs) And next thing you know, I'm going to get beaten. Uh Right. And so now when you come home, I'm no longer going to want to even greet you. Sure. Exactly. Sure. So unless you catch them in the act, you have... A quarter of a second okay. to correct the dog <laughs> yeah then it you've missed your opportunity right. for correction and you move on to positive reinforcement so if the dog comes up to you get it in a set position pet it reward it. I don't care what the room smells like right you're rewarding the behavior that you came you didn't jump on me and I'm gonna reward that right
2: well Mac's really good about that now but I will tell you her little sassiness she'll get mad at me for something and she'll literally <laughs> walk to the dog door and pee in front of it <laughs> and look at me like, what you going to do?
1: Was this close enough? <laughs> yes, <laughs>
2: pretty much. <laughs> I almost got it right. and But that's even stopped because I kind of, I, I, you know, I'd take her out and reward her for going in the yard. But, yeah, she hadn't had an accident now in a couple of weeks. And I took your advice. She's kennel trained. Oh, good. She, good. And she actually, well, she runs in like she likes to be in there. And then she whimpers a little while and then she
3: goes to sleep but so i can ignore those photos on facebook of her on the bed (laughs) that was
2: one night that was one night literally because she saw you the next day and you said no (laughs) no all right i'll torture my dog (laughs) even though it's all about me i know what it is but no and it is better she and that's where she is right now she's in her kennel right now and um and she's learning to to chew on the she hasn't destroyed anything that couldn't be replaced very easily, no couches yet. My son lost three couches to his shepherd. I kept saying, stop buying couches. That's right. <laughs> Easy fix. Exactly. So what is it about the canines that, I mean, I know what, they're near and dear to me because that's really what moved me out here. But um, And it's not the handlers, let me assure you, <laughs> although some of them are. But, but what is it about the canines and working with them that has really piqued your interest?
3: That's kind of an emerge of... I do have an interest in police work mm-hmm. and law enforcement, things like that. And I also have my interest in medicine. So, and I've done emergency medicine in the past. So, emergency medicine is just fast internal medicine. So, sure. if something is happening, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. So, merging those two together has really been kind of my my love here
2: so you're an adrenaline junkie is what you tell them. <laughs> yeah.
3: well it, it's also these guys are looking for some assistance on how to do things and so yeah. you often find people make things so complicated <laughs> and these guys are under so much pressure mm-hmm. that they're they're trying to remember things but there's so much to remember I got to do it this way I got to do it that way I got a safety first kind of thing right and so um, I've I've sat around, I've observed what's going on, and uh, sometimes I, I modify my techniques so that they can retain it a little bit better. So even like the next uh, HRD class that we're gonna be doing mm-hmm. uh, up in Glendale, it's basically, uh, you know, I call up the paramedics and I go, okay, this is the way I do it. What do you guys do? And then you start saying, okay, why should I add more things for these guys to remember when I can just do what these guys are doing, and then modify it for the dogs. Sure. And so same way with CPR. You know, CPR. Gosh, you don't... It changes all right. the time. Well, it does. It does. But these guys are subjected to it. They also have to be certified in CPR. So why should I change those techniques that are going to be successful on a dog? And so instead of bringing them in saying, "This is what you're going to have to do," remember it, write it down, all that kind of stuff. It's like you guys already already have this in your mind. Hmm. And so just just Lean back, and all I'm going to do is show you how you do it on the dog, and it's the same, you know, twenty, uh, 120 compressions or, you know, 30 compressions, two breaths, 30 compressions, two breaths, same as what you do on a person.
2: Does it change like it does for people? Because, you know, there for a while, it's just chest compressions. Then it's chest compressions, and then blowing in their mouth, and then it's not that. and Yeah,
3: I, I, I kind of follow that little trend a little while, and, and uh, sometimes... Uh, it was gonna be easier just to have them doing chest compressions. But uh, now that they've gone back to the 30 compressions, two breaths, uh, I, I like that because mm-hmm. you've gotta get some oxygen into mm-hmm. these dogs. You you walk in, you have a dog in the kennel, he's been passed out, you have no idea how long he's been sitting there without oxygen. Sure. So we need to do those rescue breaths in there to get him up and running. And so yes, it's good. Yeah, he may be covered with vomit. He could be covered with blood. Um, it's one of those kind of things that these guys will They'll, they'll work right through that, no wow. problem.
2: Got to be tough, though, to watch a canine handler lose their partner, though, because I don't think people realize canine handlers I have found like dogs better than people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's why
2: their partner is four-legged. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And so it's the same as losing a it,
3: partner. There, There is a very, very tight bond in that. And um, unless you've actually experienced it, I mean, I, I just inherited a... Um, uh, Dutch Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dutch Shepherd crossed with a yellow lab. It looks like a kind of a skinny black lab, <laughs> but that there's an endearing property that the Dutch Shepherds and Shepherds and the um, Belgian Malinois tend to have. They're very, very connected with their owners. They, they almost predict what your next move is going to be. And so when you've got that kind of almost like a dance partner, mm-hmm. there is a very, very tight bond in that.
2: Yeah, the Belgians just crack me up. I, I've never seen anything like those dogs before. I, some of them, and yet they are smart as they can be. Yes.
0: Yeah. But
2: boy, you got to get those things under control and have lots of room for them. To, these people who get them and think they're going to be a good family pet, y'all are
0: nuts. <laughs> no,
3: no when, when we got uh, Betty, it was a situation of, um, you know, she bites one of the grandkids, uh-huh. you're out of here. huh. And she's actually been one of the best dogs. I mean, I can show you a video of, of where the rooster is actually trying to attack betty and she is pulling back and and gently kind of letting him know that i won't tolerate this but, you know, keep it up, you know, keep it up and they're going to be eating you tonight
2: well so. and i laugh about ranger tony fernandez the dog was really one of my first friends out here too and it was so funny because that he was a he was a mix or was he full shepherd ranger
3: Think he was full shepherd,
2: and he looked full shepherd, but I couldn't remember he had some Belgian in him. But, and Ranger wasn't always the friendliest dog, but Tony let me give him treats, so I became the friendly person. (laughs) And I remember pulling up at a stoplight one time next to Tony, and and his window was down on the passenger side, and I screamed some obscenity at him, of course, being Tony and. Ranger's head comes popping out of that cage in the back, and he heard that southern accent,
0: and it was like, treat time. So I had to start
2: carrying treats in my car in
0: case I ever ran
2: into him because he'd bring him by every morning, and I'd give him treats or coffee or water or whatever, depending on the – it looked like I ran Starbucks. I had DPS coming by. I had them all coming over at one point, and uh, one night they all actually showed up doing a a thing at some of the houses in Avondale, and all my neighbors with those diesel trucks running – and all the neighbors are coming out and they didn't know me. And <laughs> the guys were like, man,
3: we're going to come with guns drawn and kick in doors. I was like, well, I don't
2: have to worry about anybody ever breaking in my house. That's right.
3: <laughs> you see, that's an interesting thing that has occurred over the years, too, is, is you interacting with a police dog. Yes. I remember specifically back when Glendale was uh, boarding with us and mm-hmm. uh, they were saying, you know what? We don't want your staff to interact with these dogs. We mm-hmm. want you to take them outside, let them go to the bathroom and put them back in the cage and it's like yes sir and now that has completely changed sure and and that's all because of again the different type of dogs that we are selecting mm-hmm. we are selecting dogs that are i hate to almost say better family dogs mm-hmm. uh, but the boy that you can turn them on in a second mm-hmm. and you do not want to be in their way
2: nope. <laughs> so. and did that also evolve into the dogs now staying home with the handlers more or were they always staying at home with the handlers uh,
3: part of it is the personality now of the dogs okay so you you can still have a dog that uh, there's still a liability there mm-hmm. uh, there are even some individuals that still believe in the idea that I'm going to, to work this dog and the only pleasure of the dog is ever going to get his work mm-hmm. he's going to get it completely through those hours of working and then he goes into his kennel and that's it and now he's going to be so excited to get up and let's go do this again yep. whereas now we're getting another balance of dogs that really intimately involved in the family right and uh, it, it's uh, you know it's it's just a wonderful set of, of balance in some respects
2: they always seem to have a high play drive is there ever a high food drive for these dogs
3: we do. Uh, we do see some of our dogs, like uh, the EODs, which can create a, a problem for the officers. Uh, yes. they, they have to wait, 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 slow yeah. down. Look at it from their perspective. In order for me to get fed or food, <clears throat> then what I have to do is find this odor. This odor has to be right. like gut cord or, or C4 or something like that. Sure. And so every meal that this dog is going to eat has to be connected with that odor. <laughs> So now what happens when that officer is off for the day and he wants to feed his dog? Oh, wow. So what he does is he has to go out to his neighbors and say, Hey, you know, I'm a police officer. This is my dog. Uh, he needs to find this odor. Can I hide some in like your vehicle? (laughs) And so he'll get permission of the surrounding homes.
2: Wow!
0: And
3: so that's what he'll do is he'll go out there, hide it and uh, let the dog find it and then he can get his food. So there does come some complexity. With this, yeah. but uh, some dogs, that's just the way it is. You just said your your dog is play driven. Yes. Try to change that into food driven. It may not be so easy. So you have to work with what what's been given to you.
2: Now she'll right. take food. Don't get me wrong, but but she is more play driven. But here's the I was watching something the other night. Fentanyl.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How does that affect dogs when it's so toxic to officers right. to even smell it? How does a how does a dog find fentanyl without it killing it?
3: Well, the the odor is not going to create as much problem as actually coming in contact with it. Okay. And so most of those handlers uh, that ever had a problem or or, uh, police officers that have had a problem, somehow they have come in contact. If they touch it, Mm -hmm. then they're going to run into issues.
2: And will a dog also?
3: Yes, absolutely. And that's Mm -hmm. what we train these guys for. A couple of different things, the tools that we've provided them. As, As we all know, things have changed, and they now carry at least two uh, internasals. Yeah. So we, we do have uh, classes where I teach the officers how to use that intranasal. On right. a dog? On a dog. Really? Yes. And so basically they, <laughs> they can use it one on themselves if they had to, or one on their partner, right. or one on their dog. In my first aid kits, I also include the injectable version of Narcan. Okay. And again, it's like camping. Everything that I provide these handlers, they can be used either on the person
2: mm-hmm.
3: or the dog. And same dosage,
2: same... So,
3: they're, they're so safe, you can't screw it up. Right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So they don't have to sit there and go, okay, well, let's see, that's uh, you know one, 0.1 milligrams per kilogram. Time. No, they don't have to figure that. And that's the way I even uh, talk to these guys in my first aid lectures is that everything in my first aid kit, everything, you could give it all to your dog and you will not kill it. Wow. And so these are very very safe products, and even if, and of course you know how these guys are—they'll put the first aid box in there, their trunk, and it's 120 degrees, <laughs> and these products are still safe to use even yeah. afterwards. And so, uh, and that that kind of gives them some comfort that they can't screw up, right? Sure. So, and then we you know we have to put a plug in here for Circle K, who has been very very supportive of Lika, the yes. Law Enforcement Canine Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys have been wonderful, and they they have donated lots of money to help us to do better things for these police officers. Uh, so like at the um, Prescott uh, trials, mm-hmm. survival trials, uh, we were able to assemble first aid kits for both the handlers as well as the canines. And these things are placed in seal meal type of containers, very flat, and they're placed underneath their bulletproof vests mm-hmm. so that if something was to go south, then you're, and you are let's say you're hiding or you're, you're um, uh, taking cover, uh, you have all that medical stuff right Nothing. there that you could help right. uh, control uh, you know, bleeding or uh, you know, if you were out there and you needed some injectable Narcan, it's actually underneath in their kit uh, wow. on their person at hmm. that point.
2: Have you seen dogs that have been affected by fentanyl um, or not, heard about it?
3: I, I've heard about it, and I've also assisted from a long distance. Okay. So we did have one agency where they had some problems where their dog had actually come in contact with it and their veterinarian was not quite sure on how to deal with it. So uh, I always provide these guys with my cell phone number. They can call Mm -hmm. me directly and I can walk these guys through it and tell them exactly what needs to be done uh, and it helps them out tremendously.
2: Yeah, Wayne does like we do here. He donates a lot of his time (laughs) to stuff, whether they are patients, clients, whatever, because he cares about about the population he's working with. Do you ever have any real run-ins with Ten-piece canines? you get between them and the bad guy ever?
1: No, I never had any issue with you the canines. You stayed on your motor. Yeah, That's was, why. In motors, I was pretty good about uh, letting the dogs go do their thing, you know.
2: I'm amazed at some of the uh, detectives and undercovers that don't realize you don't get between <laughs> yeah. the canine and the bad guy and some yeah, of the there, best videos. There does
3: need to be training, and, and right. uh, the, the canine groups is, is really good about saying, okay, if we're going to come on scene, then... Perhaps we should have some control over the scene, and that way we can direct people from uh, getting hurt.
1: uh, I've gone on searches and stuff where I'm the canine handler's backup Mm -hmm. so that, you know, that he can focus on what the dog's doing and provide his uh, security, you know. Done that several times. When I was in the Air Force, a friend of mine was one of the canine handlers, and he had just the craziest dog, and... (laughs) I used to put on the bite suit or, or just the sleeve and do that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, it was pretty now, crazy.
3: We, we do some training in high-risk deployment where we actually do uh, uniform recognition on these dogs. Really? So I could have like eight officers out there all dressed the same, and I can have the bat guy downfield, and I can send this dog through these guys and make him engage the the decoy way out there.
2: So as long as you don't have a plain clothes
3: it <laughs> yeah. Cuz
2: that's what we had. We had a, the the state in Alabama had one named Quinn and this dog beautiful dog but evil. It would literally lay in the back seat of the car and wait for somebody to get close and then literally just attack the one yeah. to scare you to death. Yeah. And one of our uh detectives narcotics guys in plain clothes got out to chase the bad guy and Quinn got out behind him and the video is beautiful as he bites Mark <laughs> right in the
3: ass. Couldn't have been better. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes these opportunities provide the handler with a, an idea of, will my dog deploy properly yes. or is he going to tag
0: somebody? Right. Yes.
3: So the, in those situations, and you know, okay, I'm going to take this guy's dog and deploy him. This one who's now on scene, we don't do that. Right. So, so these these are great opportunities for the handlers to know exactly what works. Sure. How to use the dog as a tool. <laughs>
2: well, one of the things when I was in last time with Mac, you were talking about this new thing you have just recently gotten into, and it fascinates me because I, I, I guess it never occurred to me we would do things like this, but it's a great tool.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, we have to thank Circle K. Okay. Uh, they ended up donating a large sum of money that allowed us to be able to purchase, uh, or at least Alika, to purchase a uh, robotic canine, Mannequin. And, I can't
2: wait to see this thing. Yeah, this
3: this thing is awesome. It, it it really is providing me with a wonderful tool to be able to teach these guys. Sure. Th- this mannequin, uh, just kind of lay the, the platform for it. I mean, it looks and weighs like a real police canine. It, it's, wow. it's a heavy thing. Uh, the fur on it was actually the fur that was on Chewbacca from Star Wars. <laughs> the internal electronics of it, the motherboard, was actually created by Jamie's from Mythbusters.
1: Oh, so wow.
3: this thing is great it, it will it breathes its heart rate it has um, uh, I can swap out limbs to like an amputated limb that is now pumping blood uh, so we can teach you know, tourniquet type right. things uh, tension pneumothorax so if the dog had a chest trauma then how to release the pressure on the chest uh, how to put IO catheters for SWAT EMTs so I'll be teaching a class Jeez. here in the middle of March Uh, to um, MCSO handlers, and uh, we're going to basically be using this dog. And the nice thing about this dog is back in the olden days, and and, uh, please don't uh, write angry (laughs) notes about this, (laughs) we had to um, basically take retired canines, and we would sedate them, and then these SWAT EMTs would Mm -hmm. practice putting IV catheters in them, intubating them sure. those kind of things wow. and so it it was a great tool because trying to put an ivy catheter in a a mannequin that's kind of like a rug with a little tube underneath the of it uh, is really not rewarding at all right so uh, this allows us to do a lot of things without traumatizing a, a real-life dog yeah I, I think we'll still need to sedate a dog and put ivy catheters in uh, which is not traumatic to the dog they're completely sedated and sure and uh, it's a great uh, opportunity for these guys to have a real-life experience. But
2: uh, Do you find many of the canine handlers, because knowing so many of them, I just don't see them <laughs> doing
3: this. Well, You know, again, you have to put it in perspective of, um, uh, in this metropolitan area, we, we really don't need to teach them to put an IV catheter in okay. for those guys. Uh, so the basic handler, maybe sub-Q fluids if they're going to be doing long extended mm-hmm. searches sure. and things like that. Uh, but... Um, for a SWAT EMT that may be on scene, uh, there's a, it's locked down, we can't bring an ambulance in, we can't move people. Sure. Uh, they have the capabilities of putting an IV catheter in. And so, um, and, and it's so- not about
2: intelligence as much as it is, I, I just, I, I could stick a needle in you all day long, but I don't think I could stick it in my doll. <laughs> and, and,
3: and again, that's that's what we try to teach these guys: is mm-hmm. that you already have the skill. You just explained to me you have the skill.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Now you have to have the desire. If sure. you don't get this in my vein, I'm going to die. Sure. So same way with your partner. And, and this is so,
2: why I'm not a canine though, Wayne, because <laughs> I'm going to kill you before I deploy my canine. <laughs> oh <I> gosh.
3: <laughs>
2: and then you kill my canine, and I'm going to oh, kill. Yeah. It, I'm taking out civilizations because. You know, and that was the funny thing during all the protests. And some people were like, "Well, Susan, just, you know, you got Heidi. I said, what are you talking about? She's going to be behind me. (laughs) Nobody's hurting my dog. Sorry. And I told Tony, I used to tell Tony Fernandez, you get Ranger hurt, you're going to answer to me.
3: (laughs) But understand the the, the officer's mindset, too. Absolutely. The, The canine is, in the end, we hate to say it, is a tool. It is. And I would rather go home to my family. Sure. And it's going to be sad if I can't bring Ranger or somebody home with me. Yep. But- I would, everybody's going to, everybody's counting on me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so right. uh, you see that professionalism suddenly kick in. Sure. And and that's basically what what's so amazing with these guys.
2: But you also see the the sadness side of it, oh, too, yes. when these oh, dogs yeah. go down. Yeah. It, that's yeah. got to be, That yeah. that has to be tough, especially because I know you shared one with me that was similar to Heidi's, that there was no warning or anything, so it just happened. Yeah, and they did everything they could, but it wasn't going to work because it had already attacked the heart or whatever. But uh, you know, and you're like, because like even with Heidi, it was so hard because she was normal, then she wasn't. Just literally one yeah. night, and so you think, you know, out work and right, and all of a sudden this dog goes down. What did I do wrong? You know?
3: Yeah, even with the the recent one we had with the Scottsdale uh, dog that had cancer in the yeah. stomach, uh, completely shut off the entire pyloric region and and. Uh, I uh, even to the to this day, you know, I'll still go up to one of the board certified surgeons and say, OK, could this have been done? Could this have been done? And they go, wow, that that's a mess. That would be just an absolute mess to try to do that surgery sure. and guarantee it's going to come back, number one. And number two, um, it's, it's rarely lasts for very long mm-hmm. as far as a surgery. Usually you're, you're back in trouble within two months or so.
2: And how quickly did that dog pass?
0: Uh, That was that was
3: a situation where you're starting to lose weight Mm -hmm. and uh, vomiting and things like that and went from Initial signs of the problem to death in three weeks
2: So a little longer than Heidi, but not much.
3: Yeah. Wow. So so very rapid growing cancer
2: But you said there was one guy Somewhere up north that had a dog that like Heidi's that had what Heidi had and he'd spent millions
3: Oh that last uh, Super Bowl Uh, there was a dog that had a a hemangiosarcoma of the heart. And generally, these dogs are gone within two to four months. Mm -hmm. And this man spent millions of dollars in order to be able to get this dog have radiation therapy and everything else. It was one of the first known cases that they actually were able to cure this this golden retriever. Wow! And he he loved this dog so much. He loved what the University of Wisconsin did that he made a commercial uh, during the Super Bowl. <laughs> so wow! So that so that's possible, but that's way out of everybody's right. budget.
2: Yeah, and yeah, then, so. no kidding. Uh, yeah, Wayne looks at me and goes. Well, there's this one case. I know. <laughs> yeah, unless, yeah. <laughs> sorry, God, He love you, but yeah, we're not going down that road. So, what all can you do with this robot? I mean, can you put it out in the field and have it mimic it being shot? And
3: yes. Yeah, so a good example. Let's let's talk about uh, Tucson H R D. So okay. high risk deployment for those people that uh, don't know what all those initials are.
0: Uh,
3: so high risk deployment down in Tucson. I set up a scenario where the handler was, uh, you know, we we basically said, okay, you've sent your dog in. Um, there were, you know, multiple uh, scuffles and everything, and uh, the scene is now secured, but your dog never came back. Now you can go in and get your dog. So he goes in and here we have Diesel laying on his uh, right side. And um, we go, okay, you, I'm your backup. I'm your assistance. You tell me what you want to do. And so uh, we have everything you need. And he's like, uh, okay. So he starts doing his assessment and mm-hmm. it's been fascinating to kind of see these handlers as far as, and I kind of modify the tree, the protocols and everything as we go along uh, the scenario. And um, so in this particular, scenario we had a axillary laceration so the dog is actually pumping blood out of this wound (laughs) this wound's about four inches right behind his uh, uh right arm and it's bleeding pouring blood red blood on the floor wow he's also got a loop of intestine hanging out
0: oh geez and he's
3: also got a cut on his paw and so a lot of these handlers they'll come in and go oh my god and they'll see that intestine loop that's hanging out and they just immediately start packing that wound. And you go, okay. So now in lectures, I tell them that 80% of the deaths that will occur, whether it be dog or human, is going to be from exsanguination or bleeding yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And so you have to quickly assess the dog as you go through, and, and you have to start attacking the most life-threatening issue right off the bat, Sure. which should have been to start packing the bleeding wound. Right, Right. and of course, those bleeding wounds are going to take about sixteen pounds of pressure. You got to pack them in, and there's multiple techniques that we teach these guys. You can pack it with combat gauze. You know, and of course, they'll say, "Okay, we're going to pack it." Okay, you have your first aid kit. Uh, No, it's out in the (laughs) trunk. It's like okay, it's like a go bag in the trunk. Yeah, how is that going to help you? And hopefully, this uh, is a wake-up call to say perhaps you might carry a couple items with With you to be able to help. Because you don't have time to leave this bleeding animal. Sure. Okay, so I'm going to help you out. Okay. It's in your vehicle. I know nothing about your vehicle. Where is it exactly. at? Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, it's... Um, in, the uh, back. in the back. <laughs> Correct. Uh, okay. okay. Where? Well, so, some departments yeah. put it up by the front. Some put it behind the driver's yeah. seat. So you need to articulate to me exactly where I'm going to find that first aid kit. Okay, so I, you know, just again, wake-up call of... of we need to either be carrying some of this stuff or you also need to be able to articulate where I'm gonna find this to somebody who doesn't know a damn thing about your vehicle. Sure. So then, okay, then I slide up a box and say, okay, here's your first aid kit. Everything you need is in this kit. So I ask the question, are you ready to transport? And he may say, uh, yes, we are. Well, what about that paw laceration? And the, he may say, okay, I, I guess I need to wrap that up. And I said, do you really need to wrap it up? It's not bleeding all over the place. And so, again, we're, we're going through this whole process trying to get them to think. And so uh, um, you may not have to do that. Right. It's like well, you could even transport the dog and be wrapping that while somebody else is driving. So you're, you're running through this whole scenario trying to get them to think. And then where hanging out with these guys is so helpful yeah. is um, like when I'm clearing a building, if I find a suspect, we're done, Right. No, <laughs> so some think the, that the, you know, <laughs> right. You may find one. If there's one suspect, there's two. Yeah, exactly. If there's two, there's three, and that's what we teach these guys with with injuries. If there's one, there could be two. If there's two, there could be three. You just kind of keep until you you've done a complete search on this dog, and now we're ready to transport. So we work through this, put the stress on them. Sure. And um, how
2: often do they just lock up? Uh, Especially early on in their careers, I would imagine because yeah, do they really get training like this just in the canine portion of the training?
3: Most of it's coming from me. That's what And I so thought. as these guys get comfortable with me, then they're going to work very well in that, that scenario. Mm-hmm. So some of the guys that may come from like Bismarck, uh, uh, South Dakota, and those kind of places that are coming down to participate in all this, they're going to lock up because they've never had this kind of experience. Really? Right. Right. So, you know, I, I'm going to be doing a... Um, First aid lecture up in uh, Washington, Marysville, Washington, in um, the uh, May. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to have to transport diesel up there, thanks to Lisa allowing <laughs> me to do that. And uh, it's going to be one of those situations where we're going to put the pressure on these guys. But they have not ever had these kind of classes before. They don't have the the luxury that Arizona has actually had where I offer these courses all the time. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I don't charge for these courses. And... Uh, Uh, They're available anytime. So uh, uh, these guys get the training and uh, retraining, basically. Mm -hmm. So when we get into these kind of situations, they're much more comfortable about it all.
2: When you say this thing's a robot, though, it actually moves?
3: Um,
2: Or it's robotic in its internal? In its
3: internals. Mm -hmm. So we fill it up with liquid blood, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... uh, uh, it will pump at various, I can have it bleeding out in one wound or two wounds. That's I can, so uh, crazy, isn't it? So if
2: it were me, I'd go in there and it'd be bleeding out of every orifice <laughs> in his body.
3: I, I can increase his respiration to mimic that it's uh, uh, in a, it's a critical situation. I can change its heart rate. Man. Uh, we can do CPR on this dog. Uh, we can even do bloat uh, where you're letting off some of the air pressure on that. Uh, the I.O. catheters, which the SWAT EMTs is, is basically a little drill device that uh, you would drill in key spots. There's two key spots in a dog, or actually four locations, but uh, two in the front and two in the back, that you can actually put these rapid um, uh, catheters into the bone and start infusing uh, fluid into them. So for those people who can't put an IV catheter in, uh, I can actually pop one of these suckers in very quickly and start administering fluids right off the bat to the dog. Wow.
2: Why do you think other areas of the country are not even teaching this stuff, even the basics to their canines? I mean, you're talking about, yes, it's a tool, it's it's a live tool, but these dogs aren't cheap.
3: No, they're not. You know, again, the dog is about sixty-five to seventy thousand yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. And there's also, you know, there's a lot of work on this sucker. Um, <laughs> when I got done with, with Tucson's HRD, I had to completely strip this thing down wash the fur out of all that red blood (laughs) uh, let it air dry pack it charge up batteries flush out the system it's it's uh it's at least two to three hours to prep this sucker prior to doing something
2: but you're saying though that they aren't really even getting a lot of the basics in some parts of of the country but why would you not i mean good gosh a vehicle costs about the same thing as a dog and you can bet they make them maintain those cars, but yeah. why would they not be teaching?
3: Uh, you know, th- this stuff is not cheap to do. You know, again, I'm, I donate a lot of my time and services yeah. and things like that. Uh, finding veterinarians that actually want to work with these dogs in the, in the capacity that I do mm-hmm. is uh, a rare thing. I mean, hmm. we're still in that mentality sometimes with the veterinary hospitals is that, uh, God, I want to get that police account because that's going to be big bucks for our hospital. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no. N- well, uh, you know, we do like the police accounts because they allow us to do what we need to do.
2: Sure. They can be consistent, right? but you're not going to make millions.
3: No. And, right. and, and again, it's just a labor of love for us. Sure. But a lot of these new corporate hospitals and things like that, all they're thinking of is dollars. And that's sad. That's <sighs> sad to do that. Plus, these are not easy dogs to work with. Uh, you have to have a certain mindset. You have to be able to work with them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually have a reputation now in, in the city with the civilian population of, the, you know, if you can't deal with this dog, take it to Svoboda. <laughs> and <clears throat> and, and it, it, there is a way of dealing with them. Sure. I mean, um, we don't show fear, but sometimes we have to educate the owners on here's what we need you to do. If you mm-hmm. can't bring a dog to me and put a muzzle on it, right. then what are you doing? You, know, you, sure. you need to be able to put that muzzle on. Right. And then, of course, I'll be able to work with that dog in the room very easily. If I don't show fear, mm-hmm. um, I show you know, that I, I, I'm not going to dominate on this dog either. I'm not going to you know, be hard on it or anything like that. The last thing I want to do is I want to try to develop some trust. But when you put that muzzle on, it changes the message in the dog's mind. To, to um, what what's this damn thing on my face? I'm not, I'm not in
2: charge anymore or right. makes them more want to be in charge. Uh,
3: well, um, what a dog thinks of is when I'm scared, I'm going to lash out first, ask questions later. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So when we put this on the civilians' dogs, now the dog is so distracted by what's this on my face. Now I can go through and do my physical exam and do everything else I need to do. On the police side, they use muzzles. Right. So, but there's... There's a distinction from the dog's point of view. And think of this, uh, especially if you've had experience with EOD dogs and patrol dogs. Okay, so that you can have a dual purpose dog. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to make him go after the suspect. So he's going to wear this collar. But oh, we're going to switch and we're going to start looking for explosives. So I'm going to put this real thick collar on him. And the dog, once that collar goes on, he goes, okay, daddy's going to have me working and I can't do aggressive finds or anything like that, I, I got to be real gentle and I'm going to sit when I need, when I find this odor. And so the same thing applies when the dogs come to us. We take the work muzzle off, which is designed to go through, you know, if I'm clearing a building and I'm not sure that uh, the cleaning personnel is <laughs> not in there, sure. I may send that dog in with a cage muzzle. And that way, if he finds somebody, he's just going to scare the heck out of him. <laughs> And then there will be more mess for the cleaning people the <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but,
2: job security
3: but we have what we call medical muzzles right and that medical muzzle changes the message in that police dogs mind to say you are not going to uh, you, you are not given permission to engage at that point in time and so it just sends a different message for the dog it's more of a calming effect and that medical muzzle is actually inside that first aid kit that was behind the um, officers uh, Bulletproof vest. Uh, so, again, if something was to happen to the officer,
2: somebody else,
3: somebody can act, he could actually take that out of his vest, put that on his dog, and now the dog could be moved to another location so that now SWAT EMTs could come in and help deliver more first aid care mm-hmm. in that area. So,
2: what about the psychological impact of events and things? I was thinking recently about the situation out in the West Valley where the dog was in the car with the handler and they're taking rounds and <laughs> this dog, it, just because I know the handler, I've always said needed psychotherapy anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I love this handler. But what do you see is available even out there for dogs, for someone to work with them when they've been through a really traumatic event? Um, is there anything here?
3: For dogs, Is it's, it's, it's um, uh... It's really the handler that ends up recognizing that this dog is going to need to work through this. Mm-hmm. Um, a real good example was uh, there was a, um, uh, a situation where they had SWAT and uh, the canine, and there was a, a, some gentleman down at the end of a uh, hallway. And somehow the, the message got mixed up as far as we're going to send the dog or we're going to send a flashbang. Uh oh. And what what happened is they sent both at the exact same time. Oh, that's not good. And the flashbang and the dog arrived at the exact same time, and the flashbang went off, kind of raising the dog up and and, uh, singeing the hair on his chest. So, after we established the dog was medically okay, Mm -hmm. there was not a problem with his heart or chest or anything like that. How about hearing? And hearing can be the same kind of issue that if an officer had received that. And so, that that is an issue uh, that we have to worry about. But afterwards, the handler was concerned that now we have a dog who may not engage at the critical time that I needed to right. engage. And so he was requesting more flashbangs <laughs> so that he could now test this dog <laughs> out to make sure it was going to work properly. And it did. It really? Did. Yeah. And, and we do training exercises where now the flashbangs will have like uh, uh, blank uh, uh, shotgun shells and things like that that will go off and simulate that. Now, what's fascinating, you know, what's what kind of saves these dogs is that they were in high drive at the time, Okay. very high drive. On what what happened this New Year's Eve, it was on the weekend, and most of our canine handlers are off on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I'm getting these phone calls from all these guys going, <laughs> my dog can't stand fireworks, and it really bothers him. And Could I get some tranquilizers or something, and I'm like, dude, your dog's, he's supposed to be able to s- stick around with gunfire right. and everything else. He says there's a difference when the dog is in drive there's no problem it. but when he's out of drive he's like Fifi at home <laughs> and, and having some issues so I was like okay buddy I'll, I'll you know I remember one of the Tempe guys uh, he goes um, yeah my dog does this.' like okay uh, let me go ahead and put some medication out by the door because uh, I I was um, gonna be out of the office there and I said I'll just put it out here you can just stop by pick it up and Your dog would be fine. And he was.
2: And what do you recommend? Because I know a lot of people that are like that. And what's funny is Heidi, she'd hear the fireworks. She'd go outside. She was like, these are for me. (laughs) She'd sit outside and watch. She Uh, was fascinated
3: by them. My my
1: dog, Charlie, hates fireworks. He just will sit there and tremble,
3: even if he's right next to you. It's crazy. What you do is you take a page out of the canine handler's book. So how do you get a dog comfortable with gunfire Mm -hmm. well okay we're going to go out to the shooting range but i'm going to stop about a mile away and we're going to play tug of war we're going to feed whatever it's going to take whatever the positive reward is and we'll do that we'll just kind of slowly move closer and closer each day i might go now okay the next day i might be three quarters of a mile and just work my way until i'm in the parking lot doing the same thing and then next thing you know you're working with the dog and you're shooting right next to him so it's not something like okay we're going to go out to the range and you're going to stand <laughs> one foot from me and we're going to shoot. Yeah. So
2: Well, the thing that used to set Maverick off and I literally had to take all my smoke detectors out of my house because it would li- I remember calling you one time he literally was about to go into convulsions
1: <laughs> from the battery, the beep, the chirp.
2: Yes. And he would literally go outside in 120 degrees and never come in and he'd go to the farthest point of the yard but I've never seen a dog react that way to that. Yeah. You know, Mac's a little curious about noises. She does a German Shepherd head tilt to different <laughs> noises. But literally all I'd have to do is hit that button once to test the battery and Maverick would completely come unhinged.
3: Wow. And that's why it's so critical for your dog at this young age. Actually, there's a an imprinting time between 10 weeks and 16 weeks that you need to experience a whole lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So... Um, like what you should be doing is, is like for example, going to um, Lowell's or mm-hmm. Home Depot or things like that where there's different noises to people, things like that. Yep. And uh, experiencing those kind of things. Uh, I, I'm from Nebraska and I practice up there for a year and uh, it was fascinating. And we had thunderstorms, tornadoes, things like that that come rolling through and never got a phone call, never got a phone call about my dog can't tolerate. Storms till here, and then I come back to Arizona. <laughs> and the first monsoon, my phone lights up, my dogs can't tolerate it. And it's all because up in Nebraska, I mean, there's a storm every week, sure. Right? And sure. the dogs during that 10 to 10 weeks to 16 weeks, these guys were exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And down here, we don't. And so then something like that occurs, and the dogs go crazy. So you have to experience it. You, if you got a puppy, what you need to do if you're listening to this podcast, you need to start playing videos or. Um, CDs with thunderstorms and firecrackers and things like that during the developmental stage, start at low volume, work your way up, and uh, eventually you'll have a pet uh, who will be okay. Maybe test out your smoke alarms periodically.
2: And and I'll do that today because I was thinking we've got supposed thunderstorms coming through. We all know how that works around here. Yeah, (laughs) 10 raindrops and we've got a flood. Um, And I'm curious to see how she responds because it'll be the first one that I know of where we might have yeah. thunder or something. Um, and I didn't have her over New Year, so I don't know how she would do with things like that. But that's a good idea to to have it playing.
3: You know, you, you can even take your smoke alarm, take it down from the ceiling, put it under a pillow and start it, and it's going to muffle the sound. And then you can go, hey, you want some food? You want to do something like this? Okay. So there's some ways of, of working around it.
2: It was a little disturbing to have to take all my smoke detectors down because my dog was going to die. I figured, so I guess we'll just die in a fire. I don't know. But every one of them had to come down and firefighters would come in and have a stroke. And I'm like, hey, it's it's the house or the dog.
0: That's right.
2: And, um, but yeah, I'll start. And I have been taking her just like you told me too, to Lowe's and Home Depot. I'm still mm-hmm. having to watch till you give her these next vaccinations. Um, but. Trying to expose her to different sounds. The garbage disposer doesn't, she sits right at my feet. I turn it on, she she sleeps right through it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she didn't seem to be responding. The bird screams, she doesn't pay him any attention. So she didn't seem to be having um, those things, but I am curious to see what a thunderstorm.
0: Right.
2: So, uh, and you know, I'll borrow the thing here at the office It has all those sounds on (laughs) it play that for her for a while. There you go. (laughs) Because I just, I don't want one that's going to be cowering in a closet every fourth of July and New
3: Year's. Yeah, most people try to protect their dogs and, and in some respects we're we're not preparing them for what life is going to throw mm-hmm. at us. Sure,
2: sure. When do you recommend medication like a Prozac type thing for dogs?
3: Uh, you know, Prozac and things like that should never be a replacement for uh, proper training and things like that. Um, yeah, we sometimes uh, have these dogs that are high drive dogs and I had a client the other day that has a German Shepherd that she simply was just saying the dog has too much drive, and she wanted. <laughs> I want to, you to tone it down. And and she wasn't strong enough or active enough to, to diffuse this dog's energy, and she wanted medication for that. Oh him. no, no, no,
2: yeah. no, no. So it's kind of know, what people do with their kids too,
3: pr- right? Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Pretty
2: much. Make it easy. Medication so, is easy.
3: Yeah, just because we, know, we all would like a Ferrari. Sure. So if we can't care for it, drive properly, you know, just to quite fit in our lifestyle, maybe we should just get a Volkswagen.
2: Absolutely. No. Do. Yeah, there are a lot of people it's it's cute, they're cute when they're puppies and that kind of stuff, but they do grow up and have needs and right. mm-hmm. especially certain dogs I knew I knew better. I had somebody offer me a, a mouth and I was like, do I look stupid? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. Um, but if people want to cuz you said you travel, mm-hmm. teaching around the country, so if they want to bring you in for some of the trainings that you're doing around here, how do they reach you?
3: Uh, they can reach me either by uh, the office. We're okay. uh, at Hayden Road Animal Hospital.
2: Okay. And we'll make sure Joelle puts that in the yeah. body also.
3: And uh, Or they can reach me on my my email. I guess I could give out that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that would be wahoovets at outlook.com. Where did that come from? Um, my hometown is Wahoo, Nebraska. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah.
2: And Wayne's practice is interesting because his son now is, is, well, he's been with you now for a while.
3: Yeah. yeah he's actually now my boss.
2: Oh, we, oh that's right. You that's, did tell me that the other day. That's my
3: succession plan is to have him take over and... But, uh, if know, my
2: I, child is listening to this, that'll be a cold day before <laughs> that's, that's the plan.
3: But, but, you know, the only thing that really, like I said, keeps me here is the police work. I mean, I absolutely enjoy it and interacting with these guys. These are all great guys. They are. With.
2: They really are. So
3: um, I, I really enjoyed it. If, if if I didn't have the police, I would probably retire at this point.
2: And Ryan will continue with the, yes. with yeah. the police? He has that same... Interest, good. Yep. And and then you have somebody else in there that kind of specializes in... We have
3: Dr. England, who is a great addition to our facility. Um, he's excellent with ultrasound, a mm-hmm. uh, very sharp individual, has done some externships and things like that. So he's been critical for allowing us to make some quick diagnosis. We've had cases where people have been... Kind of hate to say dinked around for a a period of time sure and then uh, they'll come to us And we have the tools and the resources to be able to sometimes diagnose their problem within 15 minutes and it's like I don't know why they were kind of stretching you on or why they they didn't bother to do this or sure uh, But at least we can get you some answers so we can make some intelligent decisions from that point on
2: well And that was the case with Heidi because they x-rayed from the heart down not Mm -hmm. the heart up and it was above the heart and um, y'all were, I know that he was out of town, but he came in in time and he was able to be a part of some of the diagnostic stuff with her yes. as well. Yeah, and, he was able
3: to actually uh, ultrasound that mass in the chest. Yeah. And uh, that was very helpful at that point. But these are the same things that we offer to the police departments. And I've always said uh, we are not here to monopolize uh, taking care of police departments in the Valley. I have never actively gone out and pursued it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those things that happened. I mean, one of the stories that I always tell people, I, like I said, I went to Nebraska for a year mm-hmm. and I was doing um, Scottsdale. Uh, Scottsdale was my only account.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, when I, unfortunately, when I got back, I found out that the veterinarian that had actually taken over that particular account, uh, they had one dog that had a laryngeal paralysis. And instead of Uh, diagnosing it the way I do and that is to sedate the dog and then actually look at the laryngeal folds opening and closing he took the dog and the handler out and they did some training and things like that with it and he died of heat stroke (gasps) so that inflamed the situation for Scottsdale and I was no longer living in Scottsdale I was over in Glendale and so next thing I know I have uh, people like Owen Keith and those guys showing up my door saying we want you to back as our veterinarian and we're willing to drive all the way across town to see you Sure. and um, it's like, okay, but if there's an emergency, you're gonna have to go to the emergency hospitals and by that time, we're now starting to see this this explosion of emergency facilities available in mm-hmm. the valley, which was okay and I said, okay, I'll do that kind of stuff and then you know, next thing you know, I got two accounts and three accounts and four <laughs> accounts and, and, and now, um, golly, we're, We've got on the books about uh, 40 different agencies. From all
2: over the state.
3: All over the state. uh, I I hand out my phone number to, every time I'm doing a lecture, I hand out my number to any officer that's there saying, hey, if you ever have an emergency, Mm -hmm. your your dog goes to an emergency hospital, give me a call on my cell phone. I will tell you what they're trying to tell you. I will tell you what the next step should be. I'm gonna tell you what questions you should ask. Um, what uh what the prognosis of the dog is i have a different philosophy than your your typical veterinarian is going to have like okay well we can we can fix that leg and he's going to be happy and he's going to have a good life and then they'll call me up and say okay this this veterinarian wants to uh do an arthrodesis of this dog's front paw is he going to be able to pursue the bad guys is he going to be able to jump a six-foot wall is he going to be able to do bite work and it's like, okay, let's put this in perspective. you got a seven-year-old dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's going to have surgery. Um, it's it's going to take a minimum of six months, maybe nine months before this is totally healed up that he can take the, the pounding, the abuse that it's going to be. Sure. And then you're going to have to recertify him, mm-hmm. and you're probably going to retire him at nine years of age. So, And it's going to cost the department a whole lot of money. You're not going to be able to use this dog for the nine months. You're going to be doing desk job. Maybe we should think about retiring this dog because it, the success rate may be only um, 35% Sure. Yeah. or 50%. Are you willing to bank on that? And now you haven't done any canine work for all this time. Or should we just cap our losses, retire this dog, say thank you for your services. Let's invest in a new dog. Let's get you up in training with the new dog, get you certified in three months, yep. and get you back out on the street.
2: Well, and you put it in perspective, the dog's seven, so that's the same as somebody almost 50 years old. Right. How quick are you going to recover, buddy?
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> now, Wayne will, because Wayne's one of these people, too, I should have said this in the beginning, who does all these crazy Iron Men, and <laughs> what's the craziest one you've done?
3: Oh, they're all crazy. They we'll, are. Yeah, the Half Iron Man was, um, was kind of insane in some respects, because it's just so taxing on your body.
2: That's...
3: Uh, Swim,
2: bike, what all,
3: and and run, and and run, run, yeah. Yeah. And by the time you get to the run, it's like this thing is just not fun (laughs) anymore. Um,
2: This probably should be an intervention while we have him in this room. We need to figure out what makes you want to do that kind of (laughs) stuff because you do it all the time.
3: I do. You know, the Spartan races are fun because they're just obstacle courses.
2: Well, those I can almost understand. Not at my age, but I can almost understand. But you're doing marathons. You're doing.
3: Half uh, half marathons are kind of uh, the distance I really like and below. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've really only done two marathons. Uh, I've been kind of saving myself for like the big names like New York and things like that. Um, have you done Boston? I have not. Okay. And, and, and the trouble with Boston is you have to run a really good race to be able to get into Boston, and then you can run Boston.
2: Ah, so, Okay.
3: So I, I kind of like, well, I've got to run a really good race. I might as well get something like New York under my belt. Right. But the trouble with New York is it used to be if you applied three times and you didn't get in, you got in the, the, the next time. Oh, really? And then they canceled that idea. <laughs> and so now I I just applied um, this month and we'll see if I get it. It's by lottery. But <laughs> This is the eighth time. Wow! I have Jeez. gone through the lottery to try to go to New York City. So if anybody's out there listening, <laughs> we call please. Rich Mack and go. see if
2: Rich Mack's got any pull with the with the yeah. lotteries on the marathon. When is that marathon?
3: Uh, it's usually November.
2: Okay, but you ran. You've run a couple of big ones, haven't you? Uh,
3: Did was it? We, yeah, I mean, well known. Yeah, the Rock and Roll. Uh, you know, one of my favorite ones was up in Seattle, the um, Jack and Jill. Yeah, which uh, that's one where I got my my PR of. One hour and 38 minutes. I so.
2: <laughs> always laugh because Wayne will post it on Facebook or social media and he'll talk about where he is in his age group. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'd be lucky just to finish a 5K at this point. Well, but. The,
3: the rock and roll, I was going to do the half marathon and I had a sprain in my knee. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, this really sucks, but I'll drop down to the 10K, which is 6.2.
2: Just drop down to the 10K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And,
3: and so it's like, you know what? I'm just going to run this thing, get her done. And, uh, it, you know, it was also one of those things where one of the canine handlers had called me right before the race was about ready to start. And he was having some major problems with his dog. Oh no! And, um, it's kind of like, um, well, uh, and he was at the emergency hospital. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll be able to meet, it was his personal dog too. I should add that. And so I said, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be able to meet you after this race. So I ran the 10 K and, um, not thinking I was going to do anything, came in first in my age division, <laughs> <laughs> and it was raining like crazy. And then I call him up, and uh, he's like, uh, "Well, his personal dog had unfortunately passed away." Aww. But um, later on, we found out that his his personal dog, again, sometimes um, people miss looking for right. everything. If he mm-hmm. would have done an ultrasound of the heart, he would have found that this dog probably had a mammary sarcoma at the base of the heart. Wow! And uh, instead, they were just Pumping them with a whole bunch of blood just to kind of slow down the bleed, so it, it's finding out this information and being able to pass it on to the mm. to the individual, the whether it be a canine handler or whatever. You want to get this information as quick as possible to sure. them so they can make a kind decision right. at that particular point.
2: Absolutely, so, absolutely. Have you ever been running in the morning? You're on the phone with a client.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I always hate that because uh, I actually run early in the morning. I, I'll I'll get out on the road by. Mm. Know, 450 or something like that because most people are asleep
2: yes and don't bother you <laughs> yeah. except some of us I, yeah. I caught him on a swim one time <laughs> about poor maverick but yeah. um yeah you know we just we can't say enough nice stuff about how much you do for law enforcement because we kind of feel like you fall into that same category we do it under the shield we donate our time we are not going to turn people away you're you're not turning canines away you're mm-hmm. going to help these guys no matter what and I've sat through some of your training and this new robot thing, it sounds like <laughs> I, we got to see this. That's um, what I was
3: thinking too. Do
2: you keep it at your office or? At least it, it, you
3: it's it? in my man cave right now. It's this thing is huge. And, <laughs> and uh, literally the box itself weighs, uh, it looks like a coffin and it weighs 150 <laughs> pounds. God. And so, uh, you know, just to get it up to, um, uh, Seattle, Washington. It's going to cost about two hundred and fifty bucks one way, Jeez. Wow. And, yeah. and that's going the slow route, like a week. Wow! So it's uh,
2: yeah. Send us a picture, because huh? that that would I, I want to see what Chewbacca's yeah, exactly. hair on
3: a, <laughs> on a Belgian Shepherd looks like. Because this is
2: I I can't picture it, but. Um, you know, and it's good to know that, that modern medicine is catching right. up for our canines yeah. and uh, and our loved our loved pets, too, our fur babies, because mine are just as important as mm-hmm. anything else. Now, that bird you can have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you, when you need a good Amazon parrot, let me know. I'll be happy to bring it to you because yes. he's, he's getting a little bit crazy these days. But um, thanks for being on here, taking the time and educating some of our people, because I think there are a lot of people, I just assumed canines were treated like this all over the country. Right. I didn't really realize Arizona's kind of got yeah.
3: a... it, it it's, uh, Arizona has um, a really nice little setup, I have to say that, and that's what's made Alika such a, a powerful source now of education, so sure. that they can come down and they can start incorporating this into their training scenarios, and, and I'm more than happy to do it. I take a couple days off and sure. hang out with the guys. and
2: Because you know. I know of two you do regularly, the trials.
3: Yep, yep. And
2: that's, uh, have you ever been? Well, I mean, other than what we went to up no.
3: there.
2: Yeah. You need to go to one when they go up to, is it still up in Payson usually?
3: Uh, no, we moved it over to Prescott now. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. You need to, to go to that one. That one's always interesting to watch. Um, and, and I always enjoy the, the trials when they have <laughs> the dogs act crazy and jump through sunroofs yeah. <laughs> yeah, or they don't want to jump through the sunroof <laughs> or they don't want to come out or they don't want to not bite the guy, but. Um, yeah, you need, to, you need to go up to, to Prescott and see that
1: one sometime. Yeah, that'd be fun.
2: Well, you want to wrap it up for us there, sir?
1: Um, yeah. Again, thanks, Wayne, for coming on today. Yeah, um, yeah some crazy information that I had no idea about. You know, again, this robot dog, but it, that's, that's pretty neat.
2: Yeah. And it's Dr. Wayne Svoboda. S V O B B O D A. Thankfully, he has it on his shirt. I, <laughs> I was going to say, how
1: did you remember
2: I would have put just one B in it for some reason. Well, I didn't know. That's have it. misspelled. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. On your shirt?
3: Yes. It
2: is just one B. It's one B. See, I knew that. Why is your shirt misspelled? <laughs> we need to get you a new shirt.
3: Yeah. We'll have to make sure that. Uh, thank you for proofreading. Your
2: shirt. <laughs> it's Hayden Road Animal Hospital, though, in Scottsdale. I saw. Him,
3: I saw him look at you a little strange well, when you were spelling that. Looking. She was saying that. It's like. Damn! Did I put on a shirt that has a? <laughs> I was right again. I was right again. Oh no! At least I know who I
2: am. <laughs> there are days I don't know who uh, I am. But anyway, do you remember all of our phone numbers? Uh, no, here we probably
1: go. probably not. I but, don't know. Um, I sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I'm not. We have a sheet
2: for him around here yeah, somewhere. Let's see, here Let's see how you do. Let's see how you do.
1: So, again, thanks again, Doctor Wayne Savoda. Uh, for being on the program today. Um, And it's, the name of your veterinary clinic is? Hayden Road Animal Hospital. Hayden Road Animal Hospital. And And that is
2: Scottsdale.
3: That's Scottsdale, Arizona.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and we'll make sure that Joelle puts your information out there, how to, how anybody out there listening can get in touch with you. Yep.
2: Especially for training because you're not going to find this anywhere else, I don't think. Yeah. I think Wayne's got kind of a, a heart for it. And the, you've just done so much with the, Canines out
3: here. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a lot different the way I train because of the fact that I I use in my slide presentation all this police canine stuff. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm going to show you this is a little poodle that got exposed <laughs> to cocaine or something like that. Right, right.
2: Um, and it and it does make a difference <laughs> for sure.
1: Well, we want to thank all our listeners today, um, and we want to also remind everybody that. Here at Under the Shield, we are available 24-7, 365 days. Call us and we will answer the phone and we will help you out. Uh, Our toll-free number is 855-889-2348. If you hit extension one, you will get somebody. You may have to let it ring for a little bit because it's gonna ring through to the next available stress coach um, and it it will get answered. If you wanna reach Susan, uh, directly you can hit extension two mm-hmm. um, or myself I'm extension four yep um,
2: David Cohen in Alabama he's three, three.
1: yep so you, you you will reach somebody um, one other thing that I should point out is that if you do call our 855 number we do not have your phone number yes we get the 855 number showing up on our phone so if you disconnect from us and you haven't given us a way to contact you we won't be able to. So leave us information on how we can get back in touch with you. If you want to speak to Susan directly, you can reach her on her cell phone at
2: 334-324-3570. I tell people to text me during the daytime, call me at night.
1: And you can reach me on my cell phone at 480-861-6574. And again, we want to thank all our first responders for everything that they do for our communities Uh, 365 days a year Uh, you guys are out there working in some crazy conditions a lot of work long work hours um, and you guys keep showing up to do the job so we can't thank you enough and for our families um, you guys have to put up with those guys being out there all the time 365 missing all those good family uh, birthdays and uh, special occasions you name it yeah uh and know that you guys are able to call us too. Yes, Um, Families can reach out to us. We have stress coaches that are spouses and kids and you name it. Uh, We can get you in touch with someone that can help you.
2: Or maybe we can help you know how to get your loved one to reach out to us even because we do get that a lot. And, And again, anonymity is the name of the game here at Under the Shield. You can be Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. We don't care who you are. We don't have to care what your name is because we just want you to know it's safe to reach out to us. Some numbers, it's not. They will do welfare checks, so be aware of that. Um, It's not that we're telling you not to call somebody. We're just telling you make sure you know who you're calling and what the protocol is, because we don't want to put anybody's job in jeopardy either, so... Um, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Wayne. It's an honor to call you a friend also. I don't know that he necessarily <laughs> feels that
3: way after
2: having to deal with my dogs and moving me and everything else, but
3: no, it's always a pleasure.
2: Well, it is for me as well. And we hope you'll join us again next time at Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. God bless you, your families in this great nation that we live in. Take care.